picture. This is a picture of uh, my, my grandmother's house looks like today. Uh, it is on Highway 378, and, I mean on Highway 78, and it is um, in Temple, Georgia. Now, the way I got this picture was I, was, I, I spent a lot of time looking for the, I had an old picture of the house. I couldn't find it, couldn't find it. Then I started going through the Google Earth thing. Then I said, wait, I have a friend in Temple. And so I called my buddy Philip Wynn, so many of you know, and I said, hey, I need to go to my grandmother's house and take a picture. Hey, where is it? So I told him where it was and which one it was, and he went to the, what is a pizza place now? It used to be the cloth shop that belonged to my aunt and uncle, and he took this picture. Now, back in the day, it was white, and there was no fence. And this is also Highway 78, uh, right from the front of the house, going both directions. Back in the day, when I was a kid, Highway 78 was the trucker route. And it was the route that all, I mean, and so we, and look, there's a generation, I'm, I'm fixing to ask this, how many of you have never, ever in your life stood anywhere outside and done this from truckers gone by? Who has never done it? Because if you haven't, I'm telling you, you have a deprived childhood. <laughs> and when you want cheap entertainment, you get about 15 kids together on the side of a hill, and you just wait for truckers to come by, and we would honk, we would do this, they'd honk, and we'd cheer. And they, I mean, we, did, we would do it for hours. We weren't the, most, the smartest kids in the world. We were just, you know, trying to have some fun. But this house was sat way up on the hill on Highway 78. But at the same time, man, it, it wasn't the, you know, the most sturdy of built houses. And that front room there uh, to the right is the room that we, my brother and I would spend the night in when we stayed there. And at night... When truckers would go by, when there's no one on the road, they would drive by so fast that the house would shake every time they went by. And so after we realized there weren't an earthquake coming, we liked going to Grandma's house, right? Now that's the way it was. Highway 78 went from Memphis uh, all the way to Charleston. And that's the way it was forever. Until this awesome thing happened called I-20. Now I remember as a kid, and it's a long, long time ago, I remember when I-20 was at Villarica at uh, Temple and Bremen was just dirt or in fields. And I remember when they started making the interstate and my dad tried to explain to me what that was going to be and how great it was going to be. And you don't really know until you spent your whole life driving up Highway 78 to go to Atlanta and to Athens and you're introduced to interstates. And you don't have to stop in towns anymore. And I-20 changed everything. It went from Florence, South Carolina to Kent, Texas. And all of a sudden, it changed our travel because that was our major traveling road when we went out. Now, there are people who do not remember what the world was like before our country was flooded with interstates. And your kids probably have no idea what a, what a country without interstates is like. The interstate system is the Dwight D. Eisenhower National System of Interstate Defense, right? And so, we kind of, I don't know if you know the history of it, I want to tell you real quick because maybe you're thinking, well, we kind of figured out we needed to travel better. No, Eisenhower, from his army days, realized that if we ever were, had an attack, if we had to move troops from one side of the country to the next, that we needed a way to do that without having to drive through these towns, so interstates were built not for convenience of traffic, but to transport military people. That was the primary purpose, 
right? And what you may or may not know is that one in every five miles of an interstate is, is a straight mile. If, and so if the military ever needs to land a plane, they can land a plane on any interstate anywhere in the country. And that's the why. Now, interstates changed our lives and they changed how we travel, but they made a lot of different things. So here's a picture of a few of them. So I want you to think about how interstates have, have made our lives simpler, right? For example, consider I-95, which we're very familiar with, takes you from Miami, Florida to the Canadian border. I mean, that's a pretty cool little gig. Interstate 5 connects to the Canadian border to the Mexican border. So you can literally go from one, you know, up and down and, and you know, from country to country, through a country. I-10, another one we're very familiar with, right? Goes from Jacksonville, Florida to Santa Monica, California. Interstate 80 goes from Teaneck, New Jersey to San Francisco, and I-90 goes from Boston, Mass to Seattle. And that's just a few. But these... These interstates, all, in some form or fashion, connect with almost every interstate in our country. And they were designed that way. North and south to catch the east and west. So you could get anywhere from any time. And so what we're going to do, I want you to do, I want you to imagine that the Bible is an atlas. It's a guide map for, for how to live. And when you open your Bible, it is maps and roads and highways. Ways, and I want you to consider that there are some interstates in the, in the Bible, some superhighways that really connect our lives to Christ. They connect everything we read in the Bible on this one superhighway, in these superhighways. So we're going to start a series this week called I-16. We're going to look at the, some 316s in the Bible. And today we're going to talk about the most famous verse in the Bible. And it's John 3.16. Now, John 3.16... It's famous because of this, all right? Every sporting event, every major sporting event, there's always somebody holding up a John 3.16 sign. There seems to be some dude with crazy hair with a John 3.16 shirt on. And we're like, man, that's really great, except for this 3.16 becomes kind of a joke. It's just something... Oh, yeah, there's the Super Bowl's coming. There's the 316 guy. You know, going into the uh, train station to get to wherever you there's the 316 guy. And it kind of reduced it for everything. But John 316, I want you to consider it this way. If there is one verse that maybe sums the whole story of the Bible up, from Genesis to Revelation, this is the verse. If there's one verse that can tell the entire story, you know, I, I, when I work on a sermon, I always kind of, if I can say it in a sentence, I'm ready to preach when I can't, I don't. So if I can wrap up 20, 30 minutes in a sentence, now you can get the sentence. That just doesn't work that way for y'all. But for me, if I can put it in a sentence, I know I'm ready. John 3.16 is the story of the Bible in a sentence. It's the story of everything in the Bible. And it reads this way. You're very familiar with it. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. The message, which is not a paraphrase or a translation, it's just a, the Bible in modern English reads this way. This is how much God loved the world. He gave his son, his one and only son, and this is why. So that no one need be destroyed by believing in him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. In other words, 
God loved the world so much, loved people so much, that he wanted evil people to be fixed. Broken people to be fixed. He wanted every person of every color, of every race, everybody to know that they could be redeemed. So, so this is the superhighway of superhighways. This is the interstate of interstates. This is the one verse that connects everything together. And this is the one verse that will connect everything we're going to talk about for the next five weeks together. It is the one verse, it is the story of the Bible. So consider this, the Old Testament, the story of the Old Testament, and it's all kinds of cool stuff in there, but this is the story of the Old Testament in three words. Jesus is coming. That's the story. So if you want to know the Old Testament in, in, in three words, that's it. Everything that happens points towards one event, that Jesus is coming. That God loved the world so much, he, would, he gave us his son, and so he would be sent. Jesus is coming. And so from the arrival of Jesus in the world, to his resurrection from the dead, and subsequently his one day return, this is the story. We can be saved, we can be redeemed, broken people can be fixed, ugly can be made beautiful, because God loved us so much that he wants to be with him, he sent Jesus into the world. In other words, it's really simple. God loved, Jesus came, we can be saved. That's the story. That's the story of John 3, 16. That's the story of the Bible. That's the story of the life of Jesus. God loved, Jesus came, we can be saved. Six words, sum it all up. Not just this John three sixteen, but our story. John three sixteen connects God's story to our story. John 3.16 is the assurance that whatever we face in life, whether it's our fault or someone else's fault, whatever we face, whatever we're going through, God loved us so much he sent Jesus to be with us, to help us, to guide us, to lead us, to comfort us, to support us, to hold us up, to pick us up. That's why he came. God loved, Jesus came, we can be saved. Uh, Mark Moore uh, who is a, used to be a professor at Ozark, I think he's uh, a teaching pastor now at a church out in the Midwest, uh, says this in his book, The Chronological Order of Christ. He said, it's the crowning jewel of the New Testament. He's talking about this one verse. Nowhere has theology been so simplified and yet reached such sublime heights. We almost need to put an exclamation point behind each word. He says, it's the Bible in a sentence. It's the story of God in a sentence. That's what he's saying. J.W. McGarvey, who is a historian and theologian, says it this way, and this is really interesting. He says, it's a lesson to God's love. It's the magnitude he gave his begotten son. It's reach he gave to a sinful world. It's impartiality he gives to whosoever believes in him. It's beneficial richness. It blesses with eternal life. And here's the part that people may have trouble with. It's limitations. John 3.16 has limitations. Nowhere does it say that God loves that so much that he will save unbelievers. But if you're good, if we're all good, we're all going to go to heaven. God loved the world so much he sent his son that whoever chooses him, not whoever has breath, 
whoever's ever lived, whoever chooses him can have life forever. Which means the opposite is true. Whoever does not choose him will have life forever, but it's going to be in a whole different place. God loved. Jesus came. We can be saved. Now, John 3.16 is really interesting because that's the, we always kind of focus on that verse. But it is what follows that really clarifies the meaning and why this is so important. So I'm going to begin reading verse uh, 17 where it says this. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. Let me read that sentence again. This is not me. This is John speaking inspired by God. Who Anyone who does not believe in him, does not trust him, does not choose him, has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. So John says Jesus didn't come to judge, but we judge ourselves and who we if we choose Christ or we don't. Jesus doesn't have to judge us. We judge ourselves. Verse 19, and the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than light. For their actions were evil. Could have written this last week, couldn't he? About the world we live in today, right? All who do, all who do hate evil... Hate the light, excuse me. All do, who do hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. Verse 21, but those who do what is right come to the light so others can see that they are doing what God wants. Here's what he's saying. When you just strip it all down, God loved, Jesus came, we can be saved. That's my story. That's your story. If you're a child of the king, that's your story. If you're not, it can be your story. But it can't be your story because you want it to be. You can't be your story because you think, if I'm just good, it'll be okay. It's only your story when you choose him. And there are a lot of people in our world and a lot of people in our culture who don't like that message. And my answer is always this. Take it up with Jesus. It's his idea, not mine. I'd like to save everybody. But I didn't die for anybody. God loved, Jesus came, we can be saved. The, the truth is, and we talk about this a lot, the truth is this, eternity is forever. I mean, eternity is forever. And we always think about eternity in heaven, but there's two eternities. There's eternity in heaven, there's eternity in hell. There's eternity in heaven for those who choose to devote their lives and submit to him, and eternity in hell for those who don't. It's, it's simple. It's the story of the Bible in a sentence. God loved us so much he sent Jesus into the world and if we choose him, we can live forever in heaven. If we don't, we can't. Mark Moore says this later in his book. It's really interesting. He says, Jesus is good in the extreme, but he is not tame. He is demanding. He is painfully incisive. He is vindictive of sin and intolerant of unbelief. You, you catch that if you study the life of Jesus. You pick up on that really fast. He's intolerant of unbelief. He's like, well, you know, believe what you want. Hey, that's your opinion. Jesus doesn't roll that way. We shouldn't roll that way. If a man, 
He's not ready to be stripped bare and clothed only in Christ. He has no other option but to cower in darkness. That's, couldn't say it any better myself. So I read what Mark wrote. That's the truth. God loved us, but Jesus is demanding. He sacrificed everything for us. He has a right to be demanding. He gave his life for us. He has the right to be demanding. He has a right to be vindictive of, of injustice. He has a right to be intolerant of sin. He has a right. And he is light in a world that is dark. And no matter how bright the sun shines, the world's dark. Unless you live in Christ. And so there's three truths that, that we just talk about here real quick. Here's the first. This is what we learn. Those who put their trust in Jesus will have eternal life. Those who put their trust in Jesus, those who give themselves to Jesus, those who submit themselves to Christ, those who admit that he belonged to him, those who are baptizing the Christ, those people have eternal life. Those who don't, won't. Once again, not my idea. That's the story of Genesis Revelation. We have a choice in how we choose in this life will determine where we spend eternity. The other thing we learn about is this, that those who put their trust in Jesus are not and will not be condemned. And so no matter what happens, if you're a child of the king, it doesn't matter what happens on this life. You cannot be condemned. You will not be condemned. But those who do, those who do not, those who don't choose Christ, they are condemned. And they're not condemned because Christ condemned them. They're condemned by their choice to not choose Jesus. So there are people who are condemned because they have condemned themselves. And I'm telling you right now, if that is your story, it does not have to be your story. If that's the story of someone you love, it does not have to be their story. Maybe you're the person to stand in the gap and change someone's eternity. That's why we're here. That's what the church exists for. I mean, it exists for a lot of stuff and it's really cool and we can minister to people and love people and support people, help people. But at the end of the day, that's why we're here, to make sure that no one is condemned. The third thing, those who put their trust in Jesus live in light. Those who don't live in darkness. It's, it's simple. When I trust Jesus, I step into the light. In a dark world, I'm in the light all the time. And when I don't, I'm not. It is a story of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Jesus is coming. Jesus is here. Jesus died. He's coming back. That's the story. That's John 3.16 sums all that up. A super highway that runs through the Bible. God loved. Jesus came. We can be saved. That's the story. We don't have to be condemned. We don't have to be broken. We don't have to be ugly. He makes everything, everything new. And he makes everything better. One of the things we talked about in this marriage series that we just finished up was, you know, there are a lot of people who love their spouse, but they don't love the Lord. I'm telling you, when you love the Lord, it changes how you love your spouse. It changes how you love your kids. It changes how your kids love you. It changes how you love your friends. It changes how your friends love you. It changes how you, how you deal with the disappointments of this life. 
It changes everything. Because Jesus came into the world to change everything. God love. Jesus came. We can be saved. That is our story. Or supposed to be. But it's not everybody's story. It's not everybody's story. And there are people in your life that that's not their story. And the question is, what are you going to do about that? Are you going to do anything about it? You know, our mission statement is connecting people to Jesus and to one another. Here's the truth. Can't save anybody. Can't save anybody. You can't save anybody. You know what we can do? We can introduce people to Jesus so he can save them. We can show them what a life in Christ looks like. We can show them what a godly marriage looks like. We can show them what it's like when godly people raise their kids. We can show them how it is. A friend of mine said years ago that he believes when horrible things happen that God presents two sides. There's the side of, of how you do it in Christ where people can see that and there's the side of how you do it when you don't have Christ so the world can see the difference. The story of the Bible, the story of my life, the story of your life is really simple. God loved, Jesus came, we can be saved. It's a super highway that leads towards eternity in heaven. Here's the question. What road are you traveling on? What road are you on? Are you on the road that leads to eternity in heaven? Are you on some other road? And whatever road, other road you're on, it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter where it's headed. It's headed the wrong place. It doesn't matter how good it looks. But here's the bigger question. Do you know people who are traveling on the wrong road? And will you do something about it? Father, we are uh, so very thankful for this, this one verse Famous, not because a dude wears it on a t-shirt, holds up a sign, famous, because it is your story. It is our story. It connects you with us. You came into the world in the person of Jesus because you loved us so much, we could not save ourselves. You showed us the way to eternity. You showed us how to live right. You showed us what a life in Christ looks like in the person of Jesus. And now we have to choose what road we travel on, who we follow, and where we're headed. And we get to choose if we're gonna try to take people with us or not. So grateful for the message of this superhighway that is a story of stories that you loved and Jesus came so that we could and can be saved. We ask these things in the name of Jesus.